yesterday we went to a mindful wine tasting event for Valentine's Day theme, nice. and it was really lovely. We had uh, five different wines we tasted and some cheese and crackers and meats and so on, and really looked at the color of the wine and smell and used our five senses to just slow down and really enjoy the experience and savor it. And it was wonderful. And I didn't realize that five drinks in two and a half hours for me, especially on an empty stomach, was too much. Darren and I went to a restaurant right after and I felt dizzy. I had to put my head down on the the table. And so Darren ended up eating our two appetizers and then we got in the car and I was like, please don't throw up. Please don't throw up. So I got home, crawled into bed fully clothed and then slept two hours and woke up and was like, where am I? (laughs) Poor baby. So word of the wise, if you go to a wine tasting of any kind, probably have something in your stomach beforehand, yes. and then you may need to spit out the delicious wine if you're getting um, a little too much in a short amount of time. I know. It's always so hard to spit out delicious wines. <laughs> no, it seems like a travesty. Welcome to Semi Together, a podcast about having some of your life together all of the time. It's about working on where you want to get it together while giving yourself credit for where you've got it together. I'm Malia Dicker, and I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm her sister, Jillian Burgess, and I live in Barcelona, Spain. In today's episode, we're following up on episode 15, Choosing Optimism, with tips on how to train your brain for optimism, even if it doesn't come naturally to you. But first, we want to thank our newest patrons, Peggy Collins and Monica Argenti. We cannot tell you how much it means to have your support. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you. We also wanted to share some listener feedback. Gabby emailed us after episode 31, What to Do When You Hit the Dip, about how it relates to some of her 2020 goals, including quitting smoking, which is very exciting. Yay. Congrats. Congrats. She says, I'm on my third week. It's very difficult, but I feel like the physical activity really motivated me to quit once and for all. I reach the dip when I'm not feeling so good or when I start stressing out. That's the danger zone when I feel so bad that I just impulsively go and buy cigarettes. To avoid that, I've bought some Nicorette chewing gum with the lowest nicotine intake. So if I feel like regular chewing gum is not enough, I can always resort to those. So that is awesome. That's really great. It's so good to know your triggers for the dip. Yeah. And just to be on the lookout and have a plan for what to do. Exactly. Have a plan B and C for when you hit the dip and and know that you have something to fall back on. So that's really great. Congrats. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, now we will get into today's topic, training your brain to expect the good. So I have been thinking about this lately because, as I've talked about before, Avery has been going through a sleep regression or some sleep disruptions since we got back from our holiday trip. And every night she's been getting up one to three times and coming into my room and then not wanting to go back down. So sometimes it's a battle up to like an hour, which is extremely maddening in the middle of the night. Yes. And very tiring. Yes. And I have read that if you get six hours of sleep for two weeks straight, it's like you're legally drunk. And for me, it's been six weeks. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so long. Yes, which explains why I've been getting more stuck in negative thought patterns. Uh, Like, this is my life now. I'm just going to walk through life like a zombie from now on and resigning myself to this (laughs) horrible life. It's very bleak. (laughs) I know. It's really hard to rally a can-do attitude and call on the many coping mechanisms that I have when I'm so sleep deprived and so physically depleted. So Darren sent me an article by a training specialist named Rich Brandt about training your staff to have an optimistic mindset, which can contribute to a more positive culture and better performance because of that mindset. So Brant writes, I'm convinced that most people think they're an optimist simply because they have a friend or relative who's more negative than they are. 
But regardless of how you compare it to others, pessimism is a general tendency to expect poor or unfavorable outcomes. So think about, do you tend to expect that good things will happen or worry that bad ones will? Do you tend to zoom in on the good things in your life or do you magnify the bad ones? Yes, and I tend to fall into the latter group. I do think that I'm wired for more pessimism. I hope that good things will happen, but I have anxiety that bad ones will, and I can get stuck in problems and instead of feeling grateful for my opportunities and my blessings. So it's a constant practice to work against my nature. I know that suffering and joy are both all around me at any given time. Like I just open up my Facebook feed and I see just a mix of both. So it's about accepting suffering as a fact of life and zooming in on the moments of joy and try to magnify those. Yes, it's hard. I, I think I lean naturally toward more of the optimism and zooming in on the good things in life. But I also can kind of get stuck in that cycle of worry and negativity about all the bad things that could happen and all the things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get out of that catastrophizing spiral once I'm in it. So it takes some conscious effort to practice expecting and appreciating the good and all those joyful things. Yeah. And as we start training our brain to do this, we can start by having compassion for ourselves because all humans are wired for what's called the negativity bias. And Brandt explains this as neuroscientists believe that being more pessimistic allowed our ancestors to survive the daily onslaught of threats to their existence. Consequently, humans are more inclined to pay attention to danger and threats than to positive opportunities. So this is why we tend to minimize the positive and magnify the negative. Like if we get a slew of compliments and then one criticism, it's the criticism that we can't stop thinking about. Yes. (laughs) So this negativity bias is something that we have to consciously overcome. For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever gotten some feedback on a job performance or from a friend and they give you five wonderful things that they love and there's one thing you need to work on, I mean, which one are you going to focus on? <laughs> right. Yes. And get annoyed about or get upset about or hurt or... <laughs> yes. Yes. It's very easy to forget about the positive things and magnify the negative for sure. Mm-hmm. And it helps to know that human beings are wired that way for a reason. Right. And it's helped to survive. So it's been helpful in the past. Yeah. Just... So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And you are not goodbye. needed here. But. <laughs> yes. So here are three tips to help you train your brain to zoom in on the good and expect more of it. Number one is practice gratitude. And we'll come back to this one again and again, because it's so crucial to building optimism. We talked in episode 15 about taking two minutes a day for gratitude practice, writing down three new things you're grateful for, or texting or emailing to praise or thank someone and that after 21 days, pessimists tested as low-level optimists. So it's a really powerful exercise. It is. Yeah, I've been. I've talked about this before, writing down three good things that happened that day before I go to bed every night. Sometimes, you know, on the days that are rough, I have to really think about it. Mm-hmm. But there are always good things there, and that's really helped me. Yeah, so when I do it, and I've been very sporadic in my practice, it does <laughs> help me. I think I might try doing it at breakfast or something. Like, I, mm. I never really feel like doing it right before I get into bed. So mm-hmm. I think I just need to find a different time of day. <laughs> I know sometimes, like, often I just don't feel like doing it. And I'm just like, I don't feel very grateful at this moment because I'm so tired and I just want right. to turn out the light. <laughs> right, like maybe right after I drink my coffee where I'm feeling most <laughs> most grateful. <laughs> and right. then I can write down those three things. And it can't right. be coffee, yes. I 
I've thought about texting folks more often too this year as a goal. I can add that on to my 20 for 2020 maybe. But <laughs> I think of my friends so often and then just don't text them. I think partially because then I'm like, oh, I know it's going to lead to a conversation, which is great, but I'm at work and I don't really have time right now. But it'd be nice just to, you know, text them and then we can kind of get to the conversation when we get to it. I think right. everyone knows that people are busy. <laughs> right. Even if you just send them a little thing and you're not able to check your phone until hours later, it's still mm-hmm. nice to have that that starter. Yeah. Well, another key opportunity to practice gratitude is in a moment of suffering. And it can be hard to remember to do this, but when you start to feel triggered, like a dark cloud is moving in over your head or you're slipping into a shame or anxiety spiral, practice the pause, which we've talked about in a previous episode, and quickly name three things that you're grateful for. Even one thing to start can help. And with practice, you'll be able to do this more quickly and shift your mood. I need to remember to do this. I want to remember to do this. Know, it's hard yeah. when you're in the moment and you're really deep in it. <laughs> like, yes, I want to feel grateful. I know. <laughs> it's good to remember that just when you feel upset and you kind of don't know what else to do, you're just like gratitude, gratitude, yes. gratitude. Yes. And not to just wallow in your negative mood or whatever it is. Right, right. As an Enneagram One, the perfectionist, I am highly attuned to what's wrong at any given time. <laughs> I need to remind myself of that Thich Nhat Hanh quote. It helps to ask what's not wrong. Yes. And even just starting with that one simple thing that you can be grateful for, it does help. And when I remember to do it, it helps me. Yes. Same. (laughs) All the practice. Yes. Tip number two is savor the good. When you experience something you enjoy, linger a few seconds longer on it instead of rushing on to the next thing. For example, chew your food and sip your drink longer. Or when you're out in nature, take an extra moment to admire the trees and flowers and sunshine around you. I need this reminder as well. I can be go, go, go on to the next thing. But savoring those moments really does help you enjoy them more. Yeah, I've been trying to remember that when I'm with my kids, for example. And sometimes I'll slip into just like, oh, I'm going to miss this so much. I'm like, no, just enjoy like cuddling them right now when they're small. Moment of zen. (laughs) Exactly. Just root into it. Yeah, so Brene Brown says that joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience, and it can be terrifying because we feel like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm feeling too good right now, something bad is about to happen, and she calls this foreboding joy, and writes, it's as if we believe that by truly feeling happiness, we're setting ourselves up for a sucker punch. The problem is, worrying about things that haven't happened doesn't protect us from pain. Ask anyone who has experienced a tragedy, they'll tell you there is no way to prepare. Which is such a good reminder because foreboding joy is something that I absolutely do. Yeah, she gives the example of kind of standing over your child, watching them sleep and feeling like nervous and scared and worried something's going to happen to them instead of grateful for their presence and grateful to be with them. I know. And I think it's just a a natural human emotion while you're experiencing love and joy that Mm -hmm. you are also afraid of of losing those things. Yeah, it's almost a superstitious worrying. Like you can kind of ward off bad things by worrying. Right, right. Which doesn't actually help. No. (laughs) But we do. In my experience. In my experience. Yes. So letting yourself fully feel joy without worrying about when that joy will end is the practice. So Mm. Brene Brown says that building those reserves will help us be more resilient when hard things do happen to us. Mm -hmm. Being able to access that joy during those moments. Yes. Tip number three is tell yourself a better story. Practice framing a situation more optimistically. So when you react negatively to something, ask yourself, what is the story I'm telling myself right now? Because your mind might go to bad things always happen to me. And you have the opportunity to let your wiser self answer back with something like suffering happens to everyone. It's a part of life. This is hard, but this too shall pass. 
And Marie Forleo's mantra, everything is figure outable, is also helpful for when you run into challenges. Definitely. Yeah, it's not what happens to us that makes us unhappy. It's the story we tell ourselves about it. And that is such a simple lesson, but it's like a lifelong practice. Yes. And being able to rewrite that story, especially if it's the same one that you play over and over in your mind, Mm -hmm. is a really powerful thing to be able to think, okay, bad things always happen to me. That's not the story that I want to tell myself right now and rewriting it in the moment. Yeah, some of them we told ourselves our entire lives, so our brains confuse that with fact. Right. It's just become an accepted thing, like you're unlucky or you're clumsy or whatever it is that you told yourself so much when it's really a story. Yes. Well, in the show notes, we'll link to a list of cognitive distortions, which we will unpack in a a future episode. But these are like mind reading, fortune telling, disqualifying the positive. The words always and never are good tip offs that you're distorting reality in some way. The fallacy of fairness, that life should be fair. And there's one called heaven's reward, where it's like, if you work hard, you'll get rewarded for that. And that isn't always true. But I have a very hard time accepting that. Right. (laughs) It seems very unfair that that's not true. But right. (laughs) sacrifice and hard work will pay off because sometimes it doesn't unfortunately right so in terms of our experience with this I know my negative self-talk can get out of control especially when I am feeling physically depleted and tired so my inner critic will tell me like you're worthless you always screw up and I have been trying to recognize when my inner critic is talking and then have my inner coach answer back and stick up for me yeah like hey don't talk about her like that exactly don't talk about my friend that way (laughs) like what are some examples of times you have not screwed things up (laughs) There are a lot of them. Many, many of them. And like worthless is pretty strong there, inner critic. (laughs) Yes, yes. My inner coach is like, you have inherent value as a human being. Yes, as a human being, like your productivity does not measure your value. Yes. Yes. The inner critic is persistent. So I can get stuck in overgeneralization. So taking Mm -hmm. one example of a time that I messed up and assuming it's the sign of a huge pattern. So Mm -hmm. I didn't get that work project I wanted. So therefore, I'm a terrible writer and no one will ever want to work with me again. And I'm (laughs) going to die alone and penniless. (laughs) Of course. I mean, obviously. There's no other possibility. It's the only logical progression. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, jumping to conclusions. (laughs) And overgeneralization, those are also cognitive distortions. Just a little dramatic, yeah. So right, can get out of, spin out of control pretty quickly in my head. Yes. Yes. And should statements, by the way, are also on that list. So oh, the yeah. stop shooting that we're always talking about yeah. is backed by psychology. Yes. I am happier when I eliminate should from my vocabulary for the most part. I've been pretty good about it. It still pops up sometimes, but it's a happy yeah. change. Yeah, I'll use it at work, but consciously just because it's a shorthand. Like, should I do this proposal this way? But I know in my mind that should does not exist. (laughs) I know the truth. I know the truth. (laughs) So also remember the optimistic explanatory style that we talked about in episode 15. So pessimists tend to see negative events as personal, permanent, and pervasive. So it's my fault. It will always be like this. And it touches every aspect of life. While optimists, on the other hand, see negative events as external, temporary, and specific. So this happened because of causes outside myself. It will pass, and it's limited to this situation. Yes, and optimists also tend to attribute the good things that happen to things that they did that are personal, <laughs> and permanent, and pervasive. So it's kind of magical thinking, but you know what? If it works, it works. Hey, man, it's cool. I'm into it. Yep. (laughs) Well, again, those tips to train your brain to expect the good are number one, practice gratitude, two, savor the good, and three, tell yourself a better story. 
Now it's time for Get It Together, Got It Together, a segment where we share something that we'd like to work on and something that's going well for us right now. Malia, do you want to go first? Sure. So my Get It Together is letting my to-do list balloon out of control and then missing important things on it. Yes. So all of them look like they're at the same level of importance because there are just so many on any given day and I'll just kind of push them to the next day or the next week. And then this past week I missed an important deadline. It's okay. Like we figured it out, but it it did not feel good at the time to be caught off guard that way because there's too many things on my to-do list. So they all seem important even when some of them are, are not So I am working on doing post-it priorities, writing on an actual post-it, the top three things that would make a difference to accomplish today, and really just sticking to those three things that will fit on the post-it. Yeah, it's nice to have that space limitation so you can't go overboard. I know. I've cheated a couple times. Things like above and after those three things. I'm like, no. (laughs) You can't use two post-its. You can't. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Just one. I'll just buy extra large (laughs) post-its. I do have some that are are giant (laughs) post so I have a workaround. Oh, no. Loophole. (laughs) Well, my got it together is centering on Avery's sleep and making significant progress with it. Yay! That's awesome. Yes. We know that it's the root of so many problems in our lives right now, my depressive thinking being one of those things. And so we've done trial and error and kept at it. Like, this is the most important thing that Darren and I are centering on right now. So we've tried melatonin and lavender and all these different techniques to get her to sleep through the night night because she'll go down but she just gets up during the night and Mm -hmm. so one night we just decided to try putting one set of pjs on her versus two because it has been really cold in their room so she's been wearing two sets and then she ended up sleeping the whole night (laughs) with one set of pjs i'm like oh my god and then of course she started getting up a little bit more but we got her a weighted blanket and the combo of the temp hacks like the heat setting Mm -hmm. in their room and putting her weighted blanket on horizontally because it's a little bit on the small side so if we put it horizontally it like stays on her all night Mm -hmm. so it has been game changing i'm hoping we'll get her to fully sleep through the night she's been using her tuck-in pass which is still annoying but she goes right back to sleep so that's progress that's huge (laughs) oh i'm so happy to hear that fingers crossed that that continues to improve gosh i know it's been a saga yes sleep is very very important so i'm happy that you're starting to get more crucial (laughs) (laughs) well what about you jill what's your get it together got it together My get it together is not doing any of the house decluttering projects I said I was going to do. So (laughs) yet, (laughs) yet, yes, not yet, not yet. And to be fair, January was a little bit crazy with lots of travel and just things going on. But one of my 20 for 2020 goals is to do one decluttering project per month, Mm. which seems very reasonable, but it is now late February and I haven't done any. (laughs) So I feel kind of in limbo because a bunch of stuff from our apartment will be moving to the distillery Brian is opening, but that won't be happening just yet, like pretty soon, but not right now. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm just waiting for that before I do anything, which isn't logical. I could still do plenty of other little projects in the meantime. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, it will be a lot easier to get my head around the space once a lot of that stuff is out of here. Mm -hmm. I would like to do something to feel like I'm making progress, but I have not prioritized it yet. (laughs) I wonder if there's certain areas that will be untouched or unchanged once the distillery stuff goes away. So it's not like you're waiting for this space to open up, but you can organize the stuff. Oh, yeah, there's tons of those. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'll look at my dresser or something. I'm like, that has nothing to do with the stuff that's going to the distillery. (laughs) Like, you're just using that as an excuse. (laughs) It's just that I never feel like doing, even though I know it will make me feel happier and calmer once I've tackled a few of these. 
Right. It gets worse before it gets better. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's something I need to figure out the solution for. <laughs> Just like <laughs> making it into a game, finding a time that doesn't seem as cumbersome. Yeah. Putting on some good music, making it a cleaning party or decluttering party yeah. with beer and good music. <laughs> yes. Like setting a timer, having a glass of wine, something that makes it feel temporary and more fun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or you can give it yourself a reward yes. after. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Like you get to watch your show after you do this project. Yes. Do all of the above. Yes. <laughs> so my got it together is that Brian and I went on our first date from the Eight Dates book this weekend. Yay. Yay. So that book we've mentioned a couple times in the podcast before. It's by psychologists John and Julie Gottman, whose research we really love. Mm-hmm. They studied relationships over the last 40 years. And Mm -hmm. their latest book is eight dates that you can take with your partner, no matter what stage of your relationship you're in, to strengthen your connection. So you and Darren have gone on what? Six of the Yeah, there's six now. Yeah, oh, we've been consecutive awesome. weeks. It's been awesome. That's really great. I've been wanting to start for a while, but we haven't been in the same place very much the last month. So this was kind of the first opportunity. And so we went on a really beautiful hike on Saturday, a hike that we've wanted to do for a while and figured out how to get there. And it was just a beautiful kind of cool, sunny day. And we sat up at the top of this hike and talked about the first chapter, which is about trust and commitment while looking out over the view. And it was mm. really wonderful. I'm really excited to do the, the next dates. Oh, it sounds so so fun. It's nice to have it in a beautiful location that you don't usually go to. Definitely. Yeah, it's nice to have that change of scenery. And we had nothing else to do that day besides hang out and talk. Yeah, prioritizing quality time. I love it. Yes, it was great. Well, that is all for this episode of Semi Together. Tell us if you tend toward optimism or pessimism and the hacks that help you train your brain to expect good things. Email us at podcast at semitogether.com or send us a voice memo. If you haven't already, please take a moment to leave us a review or share the podcast with a friend who'd enjoy it. Thank you for listening and take it from us. You have it more together than you think you do. It was like that mindful wine tasting that led to mindless behavior. (laughs) You were very mindful and then you're like, oh crap, it's still too many glasses. (laughs) Oops.